This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. You know, in recent weeks, uh, we have been looking at um, these strategies deployed by the enemy against believers. And we've looked at what it means to live by faith, and we've looked at um, how the enemy applies his strategies concerning our lives in gaining a beachhead and that there are things we can do um, uh, that will give the enemy a beachhead in our lives. And so uh, we want to understand this morning something else, and this is really important, and it is about understanding that that Satan does go to church. Um, so that may be a surprising statement. Uh, it, it won't be a surprising statement if you've been a believer for any length of time. Um, but the enemy, he does go to church. So uh, with that in mind, um, let's just ask the Lord to bless the message this morning. Our Father, we thank you this morning and we praise you. We thank you for your love and your grace and we thank you for your protection over the church, Lord. We live in this world and yet we're not of this world and we know that the God of this world does target your people continually to try and undermine uh, uh, and uh, destroy the testimony of Christ in the world around us. Uh, Lord, bless this message to our ears. Uh, help our hearts to be open to it and discern that which is true so that we can apply it to our lives. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Praise God. Um, well, it may be it may be a shock to people that we could uh, consider that Satan goes to church, and um, it might even be said that through his demonic forces, he's actually running some churches. Um, uh, that could naturally be said about cults. Um, that that in the cults, uh, the enemy is definitely has his ha um, hand at work within those cults. There are. Um, Cults that are cults by doctrine, and so they are preaching um, uh, satanic doctrine, and um, therefore they are um, being tools of the enemy. But they're also cults by practice. They are um, uh, maybe teaching truth, but practicing unbiblical behaviors. And this was uh, the experience of myself. Um, and there are many others as well who have been in control groups, for example, where the control is being measured in a top-down sense, in a pyramid structure uh, with single leaders at the top, all this kind of thing. So our Lord himself cast demons um, out of people in the synagogue. So people who were in a synagogue and demons were cast out of them. Paul wrote to believers and he warned them about um, Satan and his plans. Um, but nobody outside of Christianity can really hinder the ministry of the church. And now when I, when I say that, some of you are going to automatically think, what about um, the state government? And um, uh, 
Premier Dan- Daniel Andrews. Um, he's hindered the church. Well, he may have hindered some of the activities of the church, but the true church continues. And um, the, you know, the stuff that he does is no hindrance to you and I in terms of our service and our worship of God. Um, so, but this is why Satan wants to get inside the church because the real impact that he can have is in the teaching and among the hearts of the believers. And if you remember um, uh, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, Satan had corrupted their hearts and they lied, Peter said, to the Holy Spirit. So what are some of the areas in which we are to um, find uh, Satan at work within the church? Now, this, this is an important question for us because if we understand the areas in which he can work within the church, we can then understand how he works in those areas. And let's start with the first one and the most obvious one. And, oh, sorry, excuse me. Uh, that would be uh, when Satan, um, I was going to say inhabits the pulpit, um, but that sounds like a, a almost a little bit like a line out of the exorcist. Um, but go with that. Um, Satan does have, have his servants and um, uh, they can disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And uh, one text to be mindful of is in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 12 through 15. Paul says there, but what I am doing, I will continue to, to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. So in other words, there are people who are making boasts and they want to be um, uh, regarded as being apostles, uh, just as we're regarded in that way. So, um, and they're boasting of this. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Now, there seems to be two two extremes regarding uh, satanic activity. There seems to be the hyper um, active uh, viewpoint, the devil in every doorknob, devil devil behind every every bush, um, uh, you know the, that kind of thing. And then there is the hypo active church, the church that doesn't see um, any spiritual activity involved in uh, anything to do with the church. Now, we should understand, though, that simply because someone proclaims to be um, a a preacher, um, proclaims to be a believer, a moral person or a graduate of this seminary or that seminary, um, this doesn't mean that they are truly saved and a servant of Jesus Christ. That kind of thing is is ascertained and it's understood over time. We we get to know a person's testimony and we understand their position in Christ as a result. So, um, you know, 
we we have to understand that, as Paul says in Second Corinthians eleven, that there are people who claim to be servants of Christ, and they will uh, target the people of God, and they will boast about their spiritual um, authority and their spiritual credentials, and they themselves are not the ministers of uh, righteousness. In fact, um, so in fact. We would say that they're actually working for the devil uh, because they're making false claims. Now, also, not only does Satan have um, uh, effect in the pulpit because, you know, this comes down to the teaching side of things and all that type of stuff, but, uh, but occasionally Satan will put a false believer right there into the pulpit or a false teacher. But also he may have some, some agents uh, in the pews. There may be a few people who are uh, within the pew and they are themselves um, uh, the agents of Satan within the church. And Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 11 um, and 26 and 13. He speaks of false brethren. Um, and he speaks of false apostles, as we just mentioned. So a, a thought that comes to mind is the parable of the wheat and the tares, um, and the one of the lessons that we learn out of that is that the wheat and the tares, because of the, of the similarity of the look at early stages, have to grow up together, and as they grow up together, there will come a stage where they will be discernible as being different. Um, you may think of uh, Jesus' parables of the kingdom, which he starts with the parable of the soils, and he, he, when the disciples come to him and ask him about that, he gives them a key to understanding it. And one of the things that he says is that the birds are the enemy who is trying to steal the seed of the word. And then later he talks about the kingdom of God being like a a, um, a small seed, like a mustard seed, that it, when it's planted, it grows, and it grows so big, bigger than any of the other bushes, that the birds of the air are able to camp in it. And so the seed is the word of God. The bush, therefore, would be that which springs up out of the word of God, being, I, I believe, a representation of the body of Christ, and that within the body of Christ, there is the op. op uh, the opportunity for the enemy to camp there, and what is his purpose? He's trying to steal the seed, the productive seed of the word of God. And so there are people who will position themselves within the church in order to um, uh, affect the that which is sown. So in other words, if a, if, a, if a church is holding on to truth and teaching truth, uh, the enemy will try to, uh, rob that truth, for example, and he'll put believers or put people within the church who uh, are there for the express purpose of trying to steal away that which is being sown. So, you know, the sad truth is that it's um, it's often easier to become a member of a church, and by member I don't just mean um, walk in and attend, but um, become an actual member than to join some club, um, you know, this kind of thing. So, uh, 
And this is something that that you and I as a church, we need to understand that within, especially if we're going to go to a um, to a, a home church kind of model uh, in, in, in fashion, um, that we need to understand that there may be people who come along that need to be um, vetted, might be the word uh, that we use. That doesn't mean grilled. But it does mean that we don't give them any platform for ministry until time proves the profession of faith to be true. And this is a really important thing. Um, you know, otherwise we will end up with people who are really the servants of Satan and they're being made to be officers within the church of Christ. And that's something that we uh, we cannot um, unwisely allow to occur, and um, uh, because this allows the enemy opportunity to bring in doc- you know his doctrines into the church, um, doctrines of demons, as Paul talks about in First Timothy four. Though those doctrines didn't come from nowhere; they came from enemy activity within the church, and that enemy activity. Uh, doesn't just have to come from the pulpit. Um, it can also come down uh, or come out of the body of the church as well. Let's move along because one area that Satan really does go to church in, and this has become uh, an area of more uh, influence, I think, in recent times. And that is the worship and the liturgy. Liturgy is a fancy word that simply means order of service. In other words, uh, a church may say, oh, we don't have a liturgy at our church. When we meet, we begin with prayer, we go into the preaching, we sing some songs, and we close in prayer. There's no liturgy. Well, that is a liturgy. That is what you do. Your liturgy is simply the order that your service is conducted in. And so, but worship is a very important aspect of the local church. Everything the local church does should be seen as an act of worship to God. It brings worth to God, and that is the um, the essence of worship, that worship points worth towards God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So um, everything we do should flow out of a heart, a desire to bring glory to God in all ways. Um, So uh, yet in, in many local churches, the congregation is not taught the meaning and the importance of worship. Um, And while on one hand, you know, churches like ours, relatively informal, um, uh, we may criticise the formalism of the liturgical churches and the traditional churches, Um, you know, at the same time, we have to understand that many of these liturgies came out of times and um, eras in church history where uh, this was seen as devotion. And so it it didn't come out of a time where hearts were corrupted necessarily in in the choices that they made, but um, it came out of uh, a desire to bring great glory 
and honor to God. Um, and that, that can be the same with our church. You know, we could attempt to bust away from the formalism of uh, the, the more liturgically uh, um, structured churches, and we ourselves can develop a liturgy that is simply a rebellion to that kind of system um, purely for rebellion's sake. Um, so, um, you know, we can end up the same, basically, uh, and, and produce our own liturgy that we are calling maybe the anti-liturgy liturgy. So, um, and we follow the same program every Sunday. Every church has a liturgy. It has a, a form of worship, a system of worship, um, and an order of service. Now, essentially, it's either a good liturgy or a, or a bad liturgy. It either allows um, the liberty of the Holy Spirit and the Word to be proclaimed um, and allows the saints an opportunity to be edified and to edify others. Um, um, so, you know, this is really important and we should see within our liturgy an opportunity for 1 Corinthians uh, 12 uh, to come into play where where the body is nurturing and Ephesians uh, 4 and 5, where the body is nurturing one another. So um, 1 Corinthians 14.23 says, If therefore the whole church should assemble together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not a God of confusion but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And verse 40, But all things, let all things be done properly and in an orderly manner. So Christian worship is tied to the Word and the Spirit of God. The Word of God is the anchor, and the Spirit of God is the rudder. So the Word of God is the anchor, and the Spirit of God is the rudder. Let that kind of sink in, um, because it is the Spirit of God uh, that is going to take the direction of the Word of God and, and help apply that into the church uh, in actual worship. So, so true worship is tied to the Word and the Spirit of God. Now, this means that there are no new revelations. Now, let me put a, a little caveat on that because you may receive uh, new revelations. You may uh, be reading the Word of God and God opens an understanding to you. Now, that's new to you, but not new to God's word. Okay. So that's important for you to understand. And your understanding then you may take to other believers and talk about that. And, uh, and they will confirm with you, uh, that, um, the biblical nature of that revelation. Are you interpreting scripture correctly or not? And, the, you know, you, you may bring an understanding to them. But there are no new revelations. It's, it's all recorded here already. So when churches um, have extra biblical teachings and, you know, you can instantly think of uh, the cults, um, the Mormon church, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, uh, they have extra biblical uh, 
uh, interpretations of things. Um, they are outside the realms of Scripture. This is what is called Gnosticism, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, Gnosticism. The Gnostics were people that Jude and Peter and John and Paul all dealt with, um, and there are records in Scripture of them dealing with them. And Gnostics were people who uh, said, look, I know what the apostles have been teaching you and I know what you've learned through the prophets and the, and the poets of the Old Testament, um, but God has shown me this. This is not something you'll get in Scripture. This is something God has shown me, and I'm imparting only, only I have this revelation and I'm imparting this to you. Now, God does not function in that way. If I said to you, listen, I've been reading this scripture and it's been a revelation to me, this is something God has shown me, and I impart that revelation and you go away and you study it and you find that to be true, that's a different thing because you and I all have knowledge in part, this side of glory, we, we have knowledge in part and we are being opened up all the time to new understanding and uh, a broader range of knowledge. Um, now, there are new expressions of old truths. So let's say, for example, bringing uh, stringed instruments in the Psalms. It's an old truth. They didn't have electricity. So we are able to bring a stringed instrument and plug it into an amplifier. Uh, we could even uh, download an app on the phone and play music off that app that we could sing to. So that's a new expression of an old truth. But this requires discernment, um, and this is where the, the Spirit of God and the Word of God will guide us. There must be a balance and a discernment in this. So throughout history and through, uh, throughout different cultures, there are differing expressions of worship. Um, if you have travelled overseas, you will see that there are differing expressions of worship that are valid and legitimate. They're not unbiblical, but they're not expressed the same way in different cultures. You see that very prominently if you look at uh, videos maybe uh, online of African people in even in conservative churches, but they have a very expressive manner when it comes to singing and, and praising God, as opposed to maybe some of the more conservative uh, expressions within uh, maybe the East Asians, um, you know, for example. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21 says, but do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. So there may be a new expression of an old truth, but we, we analyze that expression under the light of the word of God, and we hold fast to that which is true. So um, uh, public meetings, do need a bit of planning. Uh, we have to be careful with this. We shouldn't over plan uh, the liturgy 
of a church meeting, you know, because we need to be able to allow the Spirit of God to um, guide and direct uh, such a meeting. So, you know, those of us who are in that kind of independent model of churches and and may be a little bit opposed to the tradition uh, of the liturgical kind of churches, you know, we have to be careful because we, we have to admit that their liturgy often shows a, a beauty and a reverence uh, for God and for the word that is sometimes not captured in the um, casual approach of the independent uh, church model. So we have to be careful of that. Um, so it's also, you know, it is true that Satan can kill a church through dead formalism, but he can also kill a church through uncontrolled fanaticism as well. So these extremes, and I often say, like, we can be in the prison of two ideas or, or we can be, you know, in a, in, in a binary mode. It's not necessarily one in deference to the other. So the middle ground of compromise is not it either. But but you and I, there should be, we, we should be fanatical about our worship and following of Jesus, but that should not be an uncontrolled fanaticism. You know, we should be uh, living uh, spirit-guided lives uh, as we worship the Lord. Well, let's continue here this morning. Um, Um, with this thought continuing, and these thoughts regarding worship and liturgy, Christians have to also be aware of idolatry in their worship. What do I mean, you ask? Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 19 and 20, what do I mean? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything. So, so is the thing that is sacrificed to an idol or an idol anything? Paul says no. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. So the thing offered is nothing. The the idol itself is nothing. But there is a demonic representation in the back of that. That is the real center of that, that worship. They sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. So we, we have to be careful of this. Paul here is emphasizing uh, something really important. We're, now, we're, we're very prone to... Uh, Assign this warning to the heathen people of the, you know, the dark world. We can, uh, you know, we can say, oh, the heathens, look, they worship demons. But this warning can apply to a church on any street corner. That there can be, there is an incompatibility in some modes of worship. So, um, Paul calls for a separation, in fact. In 2 Corinthians 6, listed there, and, and each slide I just list, list the texts uh, used on that slide in one section because um, it just takes up too much room and, and it'll take, uh, yeah, it'd 
becomes complex. But 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to uh, chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch that which is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So notice Paul is talking about an incompatibility of Christ and Satan. If you are a true believer, the worship and service of God is, uh, is central in your life. It, you know, serving Jesus is incompatible with idolatry. So uh, the Corinthian Christians were being invited to attend pagan festivals and, you know, this all this still happens to this day that, um, that false religions will attempt to seek some kind of unity with, um, with, with Christians. Sorry, just trying to get a little more natural light on that. Um, uh, will attempt to seek some sort of unity with Christians and, and uh, but not only pagans, this can happen in supposed professing Christians. So Paul was reminding them that the idol itself is nothing. It's just a piece of stone or a piece of timber. But it could be used by demons to create a spiritual problem because associated with that idol will be a false teaching or will be a demon. Uh, um, influence. Um, there is a spiritual uh, ecumenicity uh, among the people of God. That's for sure. You, you know, there is a, a kind of level of ecumenical behavior that Christians can share of, of many different denominations. Now, uh, but, but, this unity exists among true believers of many different denominations. There are true believers in many different denominations. Understand that. Nowhere does Cornerstone Gospel Church consider itself to be the one true church. But we are part of the one true church because there is only one church. The church is comprised of believers. There are many different uh, local churches um, on on many different street corners with different banners and, and names and all different kinds of things. But false fellowship will seek to unite true believers and unbelievers or Christ and Satan together. Um, it will push believers to, to uh, disregard their core doctrines and 
tie themselves together in unity with with other uh, false teachers. Now, where do we draw the line? My daughter and I went to, many years ago, we went to a March for Life, um, and that march was a march against uh, the abortion laws that were being, being brought into Victoria at the time. It was unsuccessful at the time, but the battle's not over. Um, those abortion laws brought in under the Brumby government. So those of you who are old enough, you go back a few years and you'll understand how long ago that was. This is not something that's come about um, with the, uh, the present uh, Marxist-based uh, Labor Party. Um, but it was something that was brought in a long time ago. Um, and those are abortion laws up to nine months, up to the point of birth, uh, that a baby can be terminated. So we went and we marched against that. There were not just Christians there. There were all kinds of people. There were even unbelievers there. Imagine that. But you see, we weren't, we weren't marching over a point of church doctrine. We weren't um, protesting the local ministers gathering uh, and some watering down of central doctrines. We were marching for babies' lives there, and that was a, there was quite a widespread representation across the community at that. I don't have any problem with that. Um, marching in unity with those people because we weren't there under a, a banner of some kind of theological statement. We were there to march for the lives of little babies. Um, and just even thinking about it um, still angers me so much that we would have governments uh, institute such evil and demonic uh, policies in our nation. Um, under the guise of under the guise of women's rights, totally disregarding the baby's rights, and and disregarding the man's rights, the father of that child. Um, let's remember that as well. So, um, uh, you know, yeah. Look, Satan can in, um, influence the church in the realm of offerings. As well, churches can be so focused on money. Um, he, he can, you know, that's an area of liturgy. Um, uh, he can do that. So, again, we are saying that um, the church should be guided by the word of God on these things, and that's why we do not teach tithing as a practice within our church um, or as a requirement for New Testament Believers, uh, if you tithe, that's entirely up to you. And uh, we would encourage you to support a local church, uh, be, you know, be committed to that church and support that local church. So if you're listening to our message um, and you have a local church nearby that you're a part of um, and just happens that you're listening to our message, it's better for you to support that local church. Um, and give there. So if you're part of Cornerstone Gospel Church, then give to our church. While we're doing all this online, uh, obviously we can't pass the basket around, so to speak, um, or put an offering box at the door. 
but you can still give via our webpage. Now, um, another thing that is an area that um, Satan has really influenced in recent times, I believe, is, is with the singing and the music. Um, I am not a believer that, um, that says that electric guitars are of the devil. It's not even logically logic, uh, logically logical. So, um, so, however, there, there should be a reverence about music. Music itself should provide a platform for people to be able to express true statements about God and about humans to God. Um, think of the words off the, off the top of my head, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's a statement about a human. I once was lost, but, um, but now I found was blind, but now I see. And it goes on to make statements about God. But essentially, amazing grace is a, is a song that talks about God's grace upon a human. Um, so singing is, is something that should be guided by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Not all. It is and the Word of God. This is really important. Ephesians 5, um, I think I've put 19 to 19, which is a um, tautology. Ephesians 9, 18 to 19 is what you want. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So it is very, very sad in the present day and age that we've seen congregational worship being replaced by entertainment. Now, I do not have the opportunity to go to uh, many other churches. I go to very few. I'm not the kind of person to get invited to many other churches uh, that are outside a, a small circle of friends and associates because we are like-minded. Um, uh, but I have been on a few occasions when there's been some something that I am compelled to attend um, for several reasons, and one may be to see it for myself and to understand it for myself. And uh, this happened a number of years ago. Um, I went to a meeting at a church in, in uh, Richmond. Um, oh, man, I tell you, for one thing, um, and, and it also happened uh, going to a church in Harvey Bay on several occasions because we were there visiting uh, our children um, on separate occasions. Um, but going into that, those churches, the music itself was very loud and very dominating. I do not have a problem with loud music. Understand this. 
but that's when I'm being entertained by some music, and that is not in church because church is not to be about entertainment. Um, if I go to a concert, I might go to a concert. I don't care if the music is loud. I don't, don't want it to be too loud to damage my ears, obviously, but I'm not there to sing along and not there to necessarily worship. Um, but congregational worship should not be at the level where the bass is resounding in your chest and you can't properly hear yourself singing and so you sing yourself hoarse, H-O-A-R-S-E, um, uh, trying to worship God. And, and so I found on all those occasions that the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth was lost. So that was one aspect of it. Um, uh, but the other aspect of it was that the worship was not biblical. Um, you know, a singer has no more right to sing a lie than a preacher has a, a right to preach a lie. Let, let that sink in for a moment because just because a song is emotionally moving and it's got a, a lovely uh, arrangement of chords, that doesn't give any right to the worship leader or the singer or the, the, the group to sing a song that is unbiblical in its nature. So, you know, it's, it is very possible for Satan to lie his way into the church through music, just as possible as it is to lie his way into the church through a preacher. So, uh, in, in fact, it's probably even easier because people uh, will sing lines in songs and they'll sing it. And because they are emotionally moved by the atmosphere of that time, that lie can easily be absorbed into that person's life and they begin believing it. So uh, music does play on the emotions. Now, this is a difference between music and preaching and teaching. What's happening right now is probably not moving you emotionally. Uh, and so while there's nothing wrong with emotions, emotions need to be biblically guided um, and there are true feel feelings. There is a true stirring of emotion. Um, maybe you were moved when we were doing communion and we talked about Philippians 2, um, and that would be a, a true stirring of emotions as you read a passage like that, and maybe one of those emotions is a sense of conviction that I'm not letting the mind of Christ dwell in me like it should. Um, but some songs are very far from being biblical. Um, and, you know, they're so unbiblical, they, they, they could have come from a phone book. Um, uh, they, they could come, in fact, they could come straight out of a satanic text. Um, it's, it's not easy to preach after a church has embraced wrong singing and wrong teaching. Um, I had to give a lesson when we were in Macau. I was invited to a meeting. Uh, I won't say anything about who ran the meeting or anything like that, but there was a time in which uh, a person shared 
a vision God had given them, and it was just disgraceful. And uh, I wasn't a leader in that church. I was just a guest, and I had to teach afterwards. And so my teaching, instead of uh, going on with the message I prepared, I went into a correction of error. And, um, uh, you know, it, it wasn't so well received, but it was important. Um, so, you know, Satan can show up at business meetings in the church and cause a lot of division in those kinds of things. Um, James 3, not listed there, but James 3, 13 to 18, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behaviour his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Uh, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So in other words, there's um, James is warning that there's a very big possibility that if your heart is corrupted, you will um, speak against truth. Um, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James says that that this, um, this emanating out of the heart of a bitter and jealous and, and self selfishly ambitious person, this kind of thing is, it's earthly at best, natural, or even demonic, um, and this corresponds with the word, the flesh, and the devil. So, and there's a real possibility that this kind of teaching will infect an organization, and before long, Satan is in control of that organization. Um, so, um, now, as we come to the final slide here this morning, Satan will attempt to get into a church by using leaders to spread destructive wisdom, um, false teachings, worldly wisdom, harmful wisdom. Um, he used Peter or he attempted to use uh, Peter. Matthew 16, from that time, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this should never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Now, Think of the renowned council at um, Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15, listed there as well. Um, there was a, a situation of some opposition between the um, legalists, uh, the Judaizers, and the uh, preachers of salvation by grace through faith. Um, and no doubt the legalists, who made their speeches, they would have argued, we've prayed and we've sought God over this and this is the wisdom of God. We, we are speaking the mind of God and um, yet they were, they were dead wrong. They were in error. And this is why the selection of leaders for churches 
Um, whether it is in a home church model, in a small local church, or whether it's in a larger church, any any biblical church must pay heed to the selection of leaders. Um, and this includes pastors. Uh, this includes going to 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, um, and 2, or Titus. Um, you know, these kinds of things. This, in, this includes understanding a person's testimony um, and understanding whether a person who you're going to um, uh, choose to be a leader or give opportunity to be a leader has uh, a testimony both within and without the church. Um, and, you know, there are very few selection committees who do that. They, they don't do that. They look at a person's um, uh, CV, you know, their curriculum vitae, and they're looking for the seminary that they came out of um, and these kinds of things, the spiritual qualifications, and they don't look into the uh, real-life testimony that the person has. 1 Timothy 3 verse 6 says that they're not to be a new convert um, because this can lead to them becoming conceited, and um, as a result of that, they'll fall into a condemnation uh, incurred by the devil. So many churches also have to endure people who are just spiritually obstructive within the church and they are they seem to set themselves in a mode of being opposed uh, to the leadership of the church um, so and and these people may in fact have become leaders uh, within the church in some form or another. Um, so understand that uh, spiritual pride is a weapon the enemy uses very, very effectively. And uh, um, this comes, um, you know, you, you see this, uh, I know this taking a little bit longer this morning, but I think this is these are important issues. We're coming rapidly to the finish here. Um, Paul, or John rather, speaks of Diotrephes, who loves to be first. Um, and the enemy will try to use such people to cause havoc in the church, to, to cause a, um, a, a breakdown of unity within the congregation and um, uh, weaken the testimony of the church within the community. Um, I love the saying that God has no grandchildren. So a person's spiritual lineage is of no count in so many ways. Uh, it is usually pride when a person says, oh, I come from five generations of preachers. Big deal. That is not a spiritual merit. It's a, it can be a wonderful testimony of God's grace in that family. Um, but that is a testimony that carries no spiritual validity to it because I was not born a Christian and my children were not born Christians. They weren't born into a Christian home. My wife and I became Christians and we 
attempted <clears throat> with varying degrees of success to raise our children uh, to be to become Christians. Uh, so there are no seniority rights within the local church as such. Um, the, the pyramid structure of many churches is a wrong structure. The church is to be a body of people whereby the spiritual leadership are those who actually place themselves under the church to lift up the congregation. Um, so being in an office, being in a position for many years is no guarantee of spiritual wisdom. Um, and uh, many, many churches uh, suffer because of the immaturity of uh, various different leaders within the church. Um, so finally this morning, Satan will use an unforgiving spirit to really affect churches. Have you been hurt by a church? I, I know so many people who've been hurt by churches, and I've experienced that as well. Um, This is a, an important subject, and it's one that uh, that we do need to emphasise from time to time. Um, happy is the, the the church whose members have um, uh, great memories of God's blessings in the church, and uh, and their bad memories are associated with man's sins um, outside the church, um, but. Petty things do keep saints from enjoying true fellowship with one another, and often these are really petty things. Um, we've had people leave because we didn't sing hymns. We've had people leave because we did sing hymns. Um, we've had people uh, leave, you know, I had somebody leave because I advised not to date an unsaved uh, person. Um, uh, I was just advising them. I wasn't telling them what to do, but I said, you know, in, in my view and understanding, uh, you know, I questioned dating anyway, but um, uh, but I said, you know, if you yoke with an unbeliever, you're putting yourself in a spiritually dangerous position. Um, I've had uh, people leave because they were upset that an, an announcement wasn't made. Um, I've had people leave our, our churches in the past because of a personality clash, not only with myself but with others in the church, um, or because they were overlooked in being promoted to leadership of a ministry. Um, another stopped because I was asking him to follow the Matthew 18 principle and going to uh, a person to reconcile an issue first before it was brought into a meeting with myself or other leaders. Um, you know. I could talk to you like the, the longer the Christian life goes on, the longer we could talk about these kinds of things. And if you've been a believer for any length of time, you know the type of stuff that I'm talking of. No wonder pastors resign from churches and, and ministry because this kind of stuff grinds a church to a halt. Um, that's, you know, that's what it does. So what's the solution? Um, so we should... Learn to uh, detect the work of Satan 
and learn to defeat the work of Satan. And one of the things that we must do in order to to do that, and I'm sorry that I, I keep touching my face. I know it annoys some people, which is no reason to leave the church. Um, but I've really had a lot of eczema recently. Um, you can sort of see it here and um, trying to get it under control, but it's been a drag. Um, we must learn to speak the truth in love. Truth, I, I know people who love to speak the truth, but Paul, who was a lover of speaking the truth and spoke some harsh truths from time to time, he said, speak the truth in love. That's not always easy. So speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4, verse 15, um, we, we must forgive one another and learn to use the wisdom that is from above. Forgiving one another is not easy because it requires humility. Um, because pride rises up. When I'm offended by somebody, my pride will, will instantly start to provoke me into a wrongful action. Um, so we must discover um, how Satan is seeking to hinder the local church and uh, we have to understand that he will try to use people to bring in an unforgiving spirit within the church. And with an unforgiving spirit um, comes a harshness uh, in the church, um, a rejection of people when we're unforgiving. Um, uh, you know, a, a rejection of people happens um, with that unforgiveness. Um, so we have to be able to deal firmly with issues, but in a loving and biblical manner. And I know how difficult this can be personally, but I also know the blessing and the joy of when, as a church, uh, we do remove a problem from the church. Um, it's not something I relish in, but, uh, you know, I've had to do it on, on some occasions and over the years of ministry. That's uh, less often than uh, that, which is good. Proverbs 22 verse 10 in closing says, drive out the scoffer and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonour will cease. So Proverbs gives great wisdom about that um, particular issue and, you know, sometimes we we have to do that kind of thing. So, um, you know, yeah, it's important for us to understand that um, Satan, he does try to go to church. He does try to uh, uh, get himself among the people of God and and um, uh, ruin that which, which God is doing within the church. And that's uh, that's about all I have for you this morning. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.